We have some unfinished business. I think it's unfinished business. I didn't know it was unfinished business until I was visiting with my friend J.K., Dr. J.K., who uh, is uh, somebody that I look to, and uh, every time I talk to him, I feel like I got whittled, sharpened. You know, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron, and we have a lot of friends like that. You know, it's good to get together with Christian friends, and even if you don't agree on everything, it sharpens us. It, it, uh, God is so awesome. And uh, the one thing I want to say is that any one of these lessons you will hear in this Sunday school class, any other Sunday school class, is merely a scratching of the surface and an introduction to the depth and the wealth of other things that can be said. And we can only say so much in 45, 50 minutes. And as I was visiting with J.K., last week we were talking about redeeming the time. The Apostle Paul came to the end of his life and he said, I fought the fight, I finished the race, I, uh, I made it. And, and, and now there's a, a crown of life laid up for me and uh, not for me only, but for all those who love his appearing. And it's unfortunate that uh, not everybody can quote that verse. You can't quote that verse unless you are uh, living that life. I, I said, you know, we can't, you know, you don't want to start when you get into assisted living and say, okay, what am I, I going to do? How can I undo my 70 years of wasted life? I think it was... Uh, Billy Sunday, that fiery evangelist from the early 20th century, who said, uh, he said, you know, I believe in deathbed conversions, and there can be deathbed conversions. But he said, you know, it's really disrespectful to God. It's kind of like you burn the candle of life for the devil your whole life, and then at the end you blow the smoke in God's face. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I didn't say that. Billy Sunday said that. I wish I would have said it. <laughs> There's a lot of things I've... And, that leads us to what I want to say now. Of things I wish I would have said, J.K. reminded me a couple of things as we were visiting, and, I, and I'm listening to him, and I said, man, I wish I would have said that. Why didn't I get that? Man, I wish I would have included that. I'm talking about a conversation I had with J.K. about the, he was, he was telling me, or we, we were just talking about the Sunday school lesson from last week, and Anyway, we're just walking out. I mean, literally walking down the stairs, out the side door to Avenue E, and boom, 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 he gives me these three things. And I'm saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I thought about it. The next day I called him up and I said, hey, I want you to just briefly restate those things because they were so good and I want everybody to hear it. Okay, and, and, and I asked JK if, if he would just add to this thing. You know, I was talking about being financially faithful, making the most of your life, but he just really rung the bell in my head, and I said, J just repeat those things. And I said, just repeat them, and then I will repeat them so that we could get it on the recording, and this way, anything you say can and will be held against you. <laughs> so, can you just summarize those things one at a time? Yeah, I, I first want to say a uh, uh, word to the wise. Next, next time you do have a conversation with Paul, be on, the, on guard that he'll ask you <laughs> in general, but um, yeah, so the first thing was, so Paul was bringing together the idea of where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, right. and redeeming the time. It's a, it's right. a great uh, mix to, to work, and the first thing, or one of the things he emphasized was uh, are, are your treasure, one of the indicators is your tithing. Are you tithing? Are you tithing regularly? And as a giving to God's work, giving to the kingdom. And I, I said, that, that's great. Uh, I mean, a great point and something that 
challenges us. But tithing can just be like, well, okay, I gave my 10% if you use tithe in its you know, definition form. I gave my 10% and that's it. So I said, well, Paul, maybe I think a challenge for all of us is self-sacrificial tithing. Mm -hmm. Not just a 10%, but because maybe that doesn't, maybe that's not a sacrifice at all in, for any of us. It, in other words, a tithe, we could be getting out easy. Yeah. Would that be a good way of restating? Okay. And self-sacrificial offering of ourselves may cost us more, but it's one of the best ways that we could redeem the time. You know, because we're talking about service unto the Lord, which is serious business, right? Okay, continue. Yep. So, uh, and that self-sacrifice may, may in fact be, be much more than 10%. Um, the other thing is in redeeming the time, it says there's, uh, um, there's ways that besides just our money, um, the investment of, of our prior of, of our time and talents. Um, what what are we most preoccupied with? What what are the things that we worry about the most? Uh, what 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 really are our passions and priorities? Those are all kind of indicators of the things that we that we redeem the time in our lives, whether right. for God or not for God. Okay. Now let me restate that. He's talking about. And, and I may restate this a little bit, and, and I, want, I want you to make sure that I hit the nail on the head. When our minds click into neutral, we, we have kind of a default in our mental thinking. What do you think about? Do you think about your sailboat down in Corpus? Uh, do you think about your hunting cabin up in Riodosa? Do you think, you know, you know, wherever our thoughts are kind of helps us determine where's my heart really at? Am I looking forward to heaven or am I looking forward to fishing, <laughs> you know, or, or, or something superficial like that. Did I summarize that correctly? Yeah, okay, good. Allowing that, you know, leisure and recreation and work and family, right. all those things are normal and good, right. but our passions and our, where we invest in with our, right. with our lives, that, that's what really shows where right. our treasure is. As long as those things don't have us, we can have them without them having us. And that goes for anything. I mean, you know, you could worship ping pong you know, for a stupid, or, I know people that worship pool tables. Uh, yeah, you know, that, that's all they live for. You know, so, okay. Is there anything else? And I've already taken too much time. The last thing was just maybe if you can uh, manage to uh, allow five or 10 minutes of time at the, for questions and answers that we can all hear because we would all, if, any, if anyone has any, because we would all benefit from it. Okay. All right. If there's any questions, if we have any time left, if I don't get too long-winded, I don't like long-winded preachers, and do you? <laughs> okay, now we're officially, this is uh, Janu uh, January. I got the first letter of the month right. <laughs> this is July the 10th. This is the Bridges class that we are officially recording for those who may want to pull it up later when you get that complicated looking formula that uh, seems to work on some people's phones and other people's phones, like mine. It, I can never get stuff like that to work. I'm technologically challenged. We want to pray first. This is going to be another uh, short uh, couple of thoughts I want to share with you on uh, redeeming the time. We have a Bible story of how someone who was given an amazing extension what they did with that life extension, and maybe we could learn something. We absolutely can learn something from it. And incidentally, th other things that happened in conjunction with this, we're going to be reading in 2 Kings chapter 20, 
just absolutely flat out miraculous and amazing. And uh, I've been thinking about this all week and I'm just stunned. I'm in shock and awe at how awesome our God is. And I hope that I could just spill some of that on to you. You know, we, we should walk every day with this realization, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above in wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. So let's pray. Let's agree together in prayer. Father, help us, Lord, in this time to be totally surrendered to the illumination and the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that our ears would be keenly tuned in, Lord, to the voice of your Holy Spirit. Let us have eyes to see as we read in this passage. Speak to our hearts, O Lord. Wherever there's a place where we can apply this wisdom to our life, in whatever time we have left, Lord, to honor you, to glorify you, for thine is the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Okay, this is 2 Kings chapter 20. The first couple of verses we're going to start with. And I have some notes here. Some preachers have photographic memories. I need some paper to get the fire started. If, if we're going to get a fire started, we may not get it started. All right, here it is. 2 Kings chapter 20, in those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Okay, let's stop and just consider that for a moment. How, how, how would you like to get a message like that? Isaiah is a bona fide prophet. Everybody knew he was the real deal. When he said this was going to happen, it was as good as done. And by the way, I should remind you, one of the few things I remember from my Hebrew is the, the Hebrew word that's translated into our word, word, word. Isn't that a new thing that young people say? You say something, they say word. I'm not trying to be anachronistic and be a young person. I can't pull that off. True that. You know, you know, we hear these things that young people say, we want to be hip. Hey, he's a hip minister. He knows how to talk. No. The word that we have translated into word, in Hebrew, dabar, is how it would look. If I remembered my Hebrew letters, I could write dabar. It would be this way. Oh, it's so bizarre and confusing. But that word means when the word of the Lord came to the prophet, it was as good as done. And that is a striking thing. I mean, you know, if I'm talking to Alan about something, we're going to make a business deal, and I say, Alan, you've got my word. If Alan doesn't know me, that may not mean anything. We've all talked to people who say, oh, you got my word. Let's shake on it. Didn't mean a thing. When the man of God came to Hezekiah, and he said, thus saith the Lord, you're going to die, and you're not going to recover. King James says, you're going to die, and you're not going to live. This is like a prophetic one-two punch. Wouldn't it be enough for him to say, Hez, your time's up, you're going to die. No. But he said, thou shalt die and not live. Ba-boom, boom. It's, it's like he's repeating. And of course, we know that repetition in the Bible is really getting the point across. So Hezekiah knew his days were numbered. His time was coming to the end because the word of the Lord said that. And he said, set your house in order. So we started off saying, uh, how would you like to get a message like this from a prophet? Some of us would say, no, I don't want to hear that. Do you realize what an absolute benefit this would be to know if the Lord could tell you, Ron, you've got two days to live. 
Now, we may not want to hear that, and certainly doesn't want to hear that, but if we knew, we, we would maximize that next 48 hours. Come on, I mean, nobody likes to talk about this. I, I, I told you last week, we don't like to talk about dying. We, let's talk about something else. We can't avoid this forever. And, and why wait until we're incapacitated and our mind is not functioning the way it should? Why don't we deal with these things now? So one thing I'd like you to consider, take this message personally. Set your house in order. You're going to die and you're not going to live. I'm not telling you this is the word of the Lord, Chris, and it's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> but come on. You know, I, when I drew the hyphen on the board last week, I erased most of it because most of our hyphen is gone. Most of our sand has gone through our hourglass. Come on, let's be realistic. You know, we're not in high school. We're running out of time and uh, we want to make the most of it. So we really can take this message literally. <laughs> Get your house in order. Make sure your affairs, whether it's legal, whether there's something that you feel like the Lord's been dealing with you and you've been yeah, kind of hanging around in the back. Like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. Do it! Because you are going to die and you're not going to live. This is something that's going to happen. There's the feel-good message for today. Okay. <laughs> you may think, oh, that's horrible. Well, it's going to get better. And here we go. Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order. You're going to die, you're not going to live. Verse 2, then Hezekiah, this is an amazing turn of events. We don't always see this happen. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Oh, Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him. Listen to this. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus saith the Lord. There it is again. It's as good as done. Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you out of the city of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Amazing. A 15-year extension just like that. A 30-word prayer got him a 15-year extension. Two years per word. What a deal. <laughs> you know, we don't you know, usually quantify our prayers like that. You know, usually we would like to make them sure, well, Lord, you know what I want. <laughs> Have thine own way, amen. You know, but it, it, there is a benefit to us stretching it out, pouring our heart out to the Lord, and uh, it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. I'm not gonna say that Hezekiah's tears uh, were the effectual, or, or what made his prayer effectual, but the Lord mentioned it when he said it back to him. He said, I've seen your tears. The Lord knows what hurts us, and uh, he's in touch with the feelings of our infirmities. And then Hebrews where it says he's, we don't have a high priest who's kind of distant and out there. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what we're going through. Hallelujah to our loving God. So Hezekiah gets this amazing request to his prayers. And uh, just a couple of things I'd like to mention here. I do have some notes. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they get forgot about. But uh, the Lord makes pronouncements. Most people don't get a chance. This, this was a very unusual gift. The Lord hears our prayers. God answers prayers. Sometimes as we request. Sometimes his answers to his prayers are no, not yet. Absolutely not. Maybe. Wait a while. We don't know. 
That's why it takes faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't, you know, I've really grown weary with some of the superficial, these, uh, uh, some of them are charismatic, these, these uh, name it and claim it, they're called. You know, they, they state their prayer as if they have creative power in their mouth. I mean, do you think they're going to be spinning new planets out there in the solar system? <laughs> name a planet and just spin it out there because I have creative power. I've heard people say ridiculous things like this, and it, it's laughable, it's ludicrous. It's as if they have no respect for the sovereignty and the almighty omniscience and omnipotence of God. You know, they read a couple of verses, take them out of context, and they, well, I got power in my mouth. You know, power of life and death is in your mouth. And they just take it a little bit too far. We don't want to be like that. We pray to the Lord, and all of our prayers come with the P.S., a little subset that would say, Lord, if this is your will. I've actually heard people say, you don't pray that, don't ever say that, you're, you're not praying in faith. That's a bunch of baloney, okay? No matter how thin you slice it, it's still baloney. Uh, you do not tell the Lord what to do. I heard a guy tell me one time, but I have the mind of Christ. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you know, don't go thinking you're all that. And it's, it's, it's really a, 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 a pseudo-spiritual way that puffs us up with pride and some of these people, you'll get around them, and you know, they'll look down at you. Oh, you don't have this? Well, <laughs> too bad for you. <laughs> if you were as full of the Holy Ghost as I am, uh, maybe you wouldn't be in the shape you're in. You'd have nicer shoes, and your carpet would have, you know, your house would have nicer carpet. Ridiculous things that have to do with this life only, when the next life is much more important. And we're going to get to that. So, the Lord's answer to uh, uh, Hezekiah's tearful request. The Lord turned the prophet around, reversed the sentence, and rarely are answers accompanied by a miracle, but he could. Now, it's what happens after the answer to our prayers that matters. More than the answer to the prayer uh, is what happens after. Now here, we see that Hezekiah was given a 15-year extension. But before we get to his 15-year extension, we need to see this unusual uh, scenario, this unusual narrative where Isaiah goes back and say, uh, well, uh, what kind of sign do you want to see? The Lord's going to answer your prayer. You want the sundial to go down 10 degrees, or do you want it to go back? And uh, Hezekiah said, well, it's, a, it's an easy thing for the sun to go down. <laughs> I watch that happen every day. Have the sundial go back the other way. And Isaiah prayed, and the shadow on the sundial went back 10 degrees, or 10 steps, depending on what translation you're reading. Folks, I got to tell you, this is mind-boggling. Now, I've read the commentaries, I've read the scholars, I've read the examples, the, the, uh, 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 the explanations of how this, well, this could have been a refraction of light, maybe there was an eclipse. I feel, why, why, doesn't an eclipse make it darker? I mean, you know, what's that going to do? So, I'm standing before you, and I'm going to tell you, I believe what the Word of God says, that God actually stopped the rotation of the earth that is spinning a thousand miles an hour. Do you realize that? That our planet right now is spinning a thousand miles an hour. We're have a 90, if my head was the sun and the earth was out here, that's 93 million miles and the earth on its 23 and a half degree axis spinning a thousand miles an hour going about 14 miles a second, takes it a whole year to get around the sun. <laughs> Sometimes women complain, my husband never takes them anywhere. You're going somewhere right now. <laughs> what are you complaining about? 
You're moving. You're flying through the universe. A thousand miles an hour, 14 miles a second. It's amazing. And God, who created this awesome solar system, in request to a king's simple request. I want the sun to... Now, that doesn't mean that you and I are going to go out and say, Hey, Jesus, why don't you do that again for me? I don't think that's going to happen. Can it happen? Yes, it can. Will it happen? It probably won't, because the Lord's not uh, doing this for you or some super spiritual uh, evangelist so that he can put it on the front page of his magazine. Look at what he did by the power of his word. These guys in these events look like they need a chiropractor. You know, they're... they're. <laughs> the Lord is not... <laughs> did you hear what he said? I love Ron's sense of humor. He says, is this the beginning of daylight savings time? <laughs> Could have been. It some daylight was saved. That's very good. Again, I wish I would have said that. Why didn't I should have had that in my notes? So this is the beginning of daylight savings time. You know, you know, I talk to these guys that I love, all of our clergymen here. I'm glad Chris is here. I'm glad JK's here, Ron's here, and uh, whoever else is here that's smart that I haven't talked to yet, and I want to talk to you. But uh, you know, preparing notes and speeches in Sunday school classes. You know, just like that. I mean, man, I wish I would have said that. And uh, some of you might have heard back when I was doing the thing on the Lord's Prayer, I, you know, and I was saying the same thing. Man, I wish I would have heard that. It's like these Indians, they were out in the Nevada desert and they're sending up smoke signals. The guy's talking to his girlfriend. <laughs> they're sending up smoke signals. They didn't know the Air Force was doing an H-bomb test on the other side. <laughs> this big mushroom cloud went up. And that guy said, man, I wish I would have said that. <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes I, I feel the same way. <laughs> Just like that right there. The beginning of daylight said, I'm going to put that in my notes, Ron. I'm going to use that again. And I'll give Ron Skates the credit for that. Yes, this is the beginning of daylight savings time. So, the shadow went back. Now, how amazing and stupendous is this? Now, we're not finished with this miracle. We're going to get to, uh, we're most likely, we're going to get to what Hezekiah did with his 15-year extension. But here's... Uh, an interesting thing, this was not the only time, apparently, when the Lord intervened in our astronomical timing. You know, the people who make the most accurate timepieces critique the accuracy of their devices by the universe, because it's never wrong. Glory to God. They don't say that, but we do. It's their loss that they're not saying it. Glory to God. What an awesome, precise universe. The things that we find out. I don't know how any astronomer, medical doctor, dentist, lawyer, I don't know how anyone with any kind of education who gets into the intricacies of how awesome this creation is doesn't fall on their face and worship God. But sometimes they prefer to worship something else. These people have incredible, amazing faith in nothing when all we need is faith the size of a mustard seed in the right object. And that what Jesus said? Faith the size of a mustard seed. You know, people make a big thing. Evangelists make books and have uh, seminars on faith, faith, how to, have, some, how to have faith in your faith. It's not faith in our faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith in the Word of God. Things that uh, we don't know how they miss it. How can you look at our, just our immediate solar system uh, 
and not see the hand of God with the, the temperature of the sun, the distance that the earth is. All of these things, the axis of the earth, 23 and a half degrees, just right so that as we take our yearly annual trip, we get four seasons. Well, in New England, they get four seasons here. <laughs> in New England, they get four seasons here. We get, <laughs> we get uh, summer and maybe the 20th of December. <laughs> maybe before we get, then it's hot again. So God is awesome. His, uh, his, uh, his word is awesome, what he reveals. And this reversing, you know, and I'm, I'm you know, I, I should have an object lesson. I should have had a little globe here. Spinning a thousand miles an hour, God answered Hezekiah's request through Isaiah's prayer. He stopped the rotation of the earth, backed it up. And I told you, there's all kinds of commentators, and it's as if they have to, they have to find some other rational, something that lines up with our mentality, because that's just too much. Folks, I am going to stand before the Lord God Almighty and give account for everything that I say in this class. Every preacher who pronounces, this is the word of God, this is what the Bible says, we will stand before the Lord one day and give account, not only for that, but for every other idle word that really concerns us, all the idle words, the other things that we just say off the cuff. I would rather stand before the Lord and have him say, Let, let's say we're wrong. Let's say he didn't reverse the earth. I would rather have him say, <laughs> why did you tell him that? I can't do that. <laughs> no. I'm glad you caught that. Of course God can do that. He can do anything. I would rather have him say, but I would rather go on the side of believing what the word of God said. Here's what we're finding out. And I want you to hear this well. As our modern science with our satellites and our computers and our super, uh, you know, the, the Hubble telescope, all this other stuff, modern science in our generation is finally getting to the place where we're catching up to the accuracy of Scripture. For years and centuries, people would look at this and say, how can that happen? Well, our science just hadn't caught up with it yet. Our science is catching up with it now. And we can see, by the way, did you know that there was, in other cultures, not just in the Middle East, but I think in China and other places, you know, Chinese are smart people, you know, for thousands of years, you know, they've been figuring out stuff. They've been tracking the you know, thing. Now, whether, I don't know when they exactly discovered what Galileo discovered in the 15th, 16th century, 16th, 17th century, uh, whenever Galileo lived, he discovered that our solar system was a heliocentric cosmology. Before that, as you read in the Bible, people thought that the sun revolved around the earth and the earth was the center of our solar system. Galileo got his telescope, he looks up there and he said, yeah, I don't think so. And he found out that the sun was the center of our solar system. That's the, the word heliocentric cosmology. And by the way, he got in trouble with the Catholic Church for that. Big trouble, they said. You can't say that. And not that we want to give that much credit to the Pope or the Catholic Church, but they were sticking with the Word of God. They didn't know. It was a pre-scientific time. Galileo, Copernicus, these guys were ahead of their time. And eventually the Catholic Church did back off and say, okay, Galileo, you were right. It just took them a little over 300 years. I think it was 1990 that they, you hear that? 1990 that the Catholic Church finally said, ah, Galileo, my bad. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> Just took them 300 years. Isn't that ridiculous? But the <laughs> well, you think the Presbyterian Church is slow about <laughs> doing things? Apparently, the Catholic Church really is slow about some of their things. So, 
Here's when we get, uh, uh, by the way, there is one other thing that I should mention, and this is, this is just as incredible. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but in, in Joshua chapter 10, most of us are familiar. Uh, Joshua's in a battle. Joshua 10, verses 12 through 14. Joshua, in the sight of all Israel, under the inspiration of the Lord, running out of time in a battle, says, sun, stand still, moon, hold your place. And it did not go down. And if you look in verse 14, it says, the sun did not go down for about a whole day. About a whole day. Well, with our calculations, our computer technology, and the people that have gone back, they take our, you know, all of the, uh, what do you call those, uh, the uh, equinoxes and all the things, you know, because our universe is very dependable. We're able to go back. Anyway, they went back in time. They found a missing day. It's amazing. And someone said, well, how about the missing day of, uh, of uh, Joshua? <laughs> of course. I don't know. Well, it says about a whole day. Well, they actually got it figured out that it was 23 hours and 40 minutes. About a whole day. This is for the account of Joshua. Where'd they get the other 20 minutes from? I just read it to you. Makes a whole perfect 24-hour timepiece. Does that surprise you? Does that shock you? I got this from a dependable source, but it was 30 years ago, and I forgot to document it. But this is a very dependable reason for where that missing day went. We have answers in Scripture. About a whole day with Joshua, another 20 degrees here, 10 degrees, 2 minutes per degree, 20 minutes, give or take. You can ask the Lord when you get there, and uh, if that's something that you're really interested in. Now, concerning the life extension that the Lord gave to Hezekiah, you know, we have the whole thing, 15 years. Uh, he says, uh, get a lump of figs, a cake of figs. Apparently, they believed in holistic healing back then and uh, put the lump of figs on the boil. Uh, he, he had already received the 15-year life extension, so that wasn't to actually start the 15 It was as good as done. When the Lord spoke through Isaiah, it was as good as done. Hezekiah had the 15-year extension. But here is maybe the heart of our lesson. We talked about... Uh, Joshua's long day, the uh, extending of the, uh, or the backing up of the sundial. The real thing here is, as far as our concern and redeeming the time, is what did Hezekiah do with that 15-year extension? If you and I were given a 15-year extension, what would we do with it? If the Lord appeared to us and said, JK, you got six months, you better make the most of it. You know, we would. We would, especially if we got it from a, a dependable source. But I told you, we're all going to die. We know it's going to happen. We don't know when, but we should be getting ready for it now. We should have our house set in order. Financially, legally, spiritually, every part of our life should be set in order because we don't know when our extension is going to be up. It will be up at some time. What Hezekiah did, it's kind of confusing. It's interesting. Now, we don't understand. I'm not an Old Testament scholar where I can tell you why he did this, but Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, the king of Babylon, sent envoys. I'm reading in verse 12 now, 2 Kings 20. Uh, letters with a present to Hezekiah. Heard Hezekiah had been sick. I wonder why they didn't say, hey, what was that deal with the sundial, man? Wasn't that far out? I wish they would have mentioned that, but all they said was, hey, good, you were, you were sick, you got better, the figs did the deal, good for you. So Hezekiah welcomed them, showed them all the treasure of his house, the silver, the gold, the spices. It was a customary thing for ancient kings of the East to show off their stuff. Hey, 
You're the king next door. You think you're good? <laughs> Come over and see what I got. <clears throat> Showed them all stuff. Anyway, this whole thing didn't work out that well. And Isaiah shows up again. Apparently, Isaiah was a very close uh, uh, advisor to King Hezekiah, you know, because he's pronouncing all these things, and he was the, the real deal. Verse 14, then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah, and he said, what did these men say? From whence did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, oh, they came from a far country, Babylon. And uh, Isaiah said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah said, they've seen all that is in my house. There's nothing in my store has. I have not shown them. Verse 16, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Here it is again. It's as good as done. Verse 17, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you whom you will father, shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said, you know, first of all, before we get to what Hezekiah said, this is a pretty bad prophecy. We're not given all the details about, was it his pride? Did he take his 15-year extension for granted? He just said, well, hey, I might as well live it up, have a good time. Hey, I'm going to show off to these kings. Let me show you how all of what I got. Anyway, it was not pleasing to the Lord. Isaiah showed up and said, you blew it, Hez. You should not have done that. And here we find the verdict. Everything's going to be taken away. Isaiah, Isaiah was prophesying. Actually, the Babylonian captivity, probably 100, maybe 125 years from now, Babylon, uh, uh, the Babylonian captivity was going to happen. Isaiah's prophesying it to Hezekiah. And here's Hezekiah's bizarre response. I want you to listen to this in verse number 19. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Now this sounds like, it's bad news, but at least he had enough sense to say the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. This is kind of like Eli, when Samuel said, Sam, you've, you've blown, uh, Eli, you've blown it, and Eli said, that which the Lord has spoken is good. You know, whenever we get news from an authoritative source in Scripture, you know, not that there's going to be a prophet like Isaiah or Samuel, it's going to be speaking words like this now, we get our marching orders from Scripture, we have to say, the word of the Lord is good. Even if we get it through a doctor, a surgeon, he says, you know, you've got uh, six months to live. We'll make the most of our six months. Here's the unusual thing. I find it unusual what Hezekiah says. For he thought, why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? Isn't that an unusual thing for him to say? The prophet just told him, your sons, your grandsons, your great-grandsons, they're going to be carried off into, they're going to be eunuchs. That's not good. Those boys that weren't born yet didn't know that, but imagine what they heard when they found that out. What? <laughs> I don't want to be a eunuch. Who wants to be a eunuch? <laughs> Something that happened a hundred or plus years before, it was as good as done. And Hezekiah says, well, <laughs> at least it'll be okay while I'm here. Now, I find that interesting and somewhat contemporary even in how a politician and we're not going to talk about politics here. You pick your politician, insert wherever it may be fitting. But it seems as if politicians will make deals, financial deals, national treaties, all these other kind of things. I, I have no idea. You'd have to talk to Sean to find out exactly what's going on. I really don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. Sometimes these men will make deals, and they don't care what's going to happen to our children, to our children's children to our great-grandchildren, to however far it goes. It's as if, as long as they have it good now and they get reelected, eh, it's okay with me. Eh, what's going to happen later? I'm not going to worry about that. 
Now, that's not the purpose and the main crust, uh, thrust of this whole study here. The main thing is you do with whatever time you have left. You redeem the time. You make sure you make a good decision. Something that will be positive, have a positive affect on our posterity. Or the people in our church, you know, uh, what we give to this church now. Do you realize we're in this beautiful edifice, in this beautiful city block in downtown San Antonio, made and built and still being maintained by some people who gave sacrificially. Some people had a lot to give, what J.K. was mentioning before. <laughs> For them, tithing was nothing. They could have given millions on top of their tithe, and it wouldn't have even hurt their bottom line. We're in this beautiful church. Just come out of the traditional service. What a Sometimes I'm sitting here and I'm saying, what a beautiful sanctuary this is. Somebody had to pay for that. Somebody paid for it. A lot of them are probably already dead. We enjoy what they paid for back then. So now we give, and maybe 100 years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back and we're not here, somebody else is going to enjoy what we do with what we have now. So, redeem the time. Uh, another thing, uh, after Hezekiah received this life extension, a son was born to him named Manasseh. He was not a good king. He was horrible. So we have another negative fallout. And you have to wonder, and of course, you know, we're not going to go back and all the supposition, well, what if Hezekiah didn't get that and Manasseh wasn't born? The fact is Hezekiah was given the life extension. Hezekiah was born. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He had uh, idol worship and pagan idolatry like had never been done in the, king, in the kingdom of Judah before, but yet he did it. And he showed up after the Lord gave his father that 15-year extension. So, what are you going to do with whatever time you have left? How can we make good decisions to honor the Lord? Uh, back during, I think it was the Ten Commandments study we did, I handed out, I don't do a lot of handouts, but I handed out some statements. They're some of the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. He records 70 of them. I picked 12 of the 70, made copies, had to make copies down the office, passed them out to everybody that was here. Did anybody get a copy of those? You're here today. I think you got one, didn't you? Are you the only one who got a copy? Okay, you also got one. There's a couple of those resolutions, and I picked them out because of the absolute practicality. Jonathan Edwards was a philosophical and theological genius. Good Calvinist theologian. And he what we would say, shucked it right down to the cob and in a terse, concise sentence made statements like this. I resolve. All of his resolutions start with resolved. In other words, I made up my mind. This is what I'm going to do. I will not be found doing anything if I knew this was the last hour of my life. Now that's just a, a summary of what a lot of these resolutions say. Isn't that a good philosophy of life to live by? Don't we gamble if we say, well, I could get away with this because I really don't think Jesus is coming back. I'll tell you when Jesus is coming back. Actually, either next week or maybe the next one because I'm, I'm working on the next two studies that we're going to have. And uh, one of them is going to mention uh, the fact of Jesus coming back. And uh, I'm going to tell you if you want to know. I'm not going to tell you now because I want you to come back to the lessons next week. But if you want to know when is Jesus coming back, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I know. I don't have a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. I got it from the book. Uh, you probably know what I'm talking about. But. 
Let me create some tension here anyway and see if I can get you to come back. I will tell you when Jesus is going to come back. And it doesn't matter if you're premillennial, millennial, pre-trib, post-trib, uh, burlap bag. It doesn't matter what your eschatology is. The Lord's given us enough information to go on. But here's the thing. We don't know if Jesus is going to come back now or if we're going to leave this life now. One thing's for sure concerning our treasure and everything. Either we're going to leave it or it's going to leave us. We can go broke. We can be hacked. Someone can hack into our bank account, take everything. Someone might be working on stealing the title of your house right now while you're sitting here. That could be happening. I don't want to freak you out, but that can happen. There's hackers, these, you know, and they could be in Bulgaria, Russia somewhere, on their computer, in their underwear, steal, stealing JK's bank account right now. That could be, we know this, this has happened. <laughs> Wise move, brother. But here's the deal. We can't stop some of these things from happening. So one thing's for sure, all, all of what we have is either going to leave us or we're going to leave it. We're all going to leave it behind. Everyone, when we die, we've all heard that lame little thing. There's never been a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. There's uh, it's, it's just Groucho Marx. I have to tell you, you know, Groucho Marx was kind of a smart aleck, wise guy. I, I really don't think he had any biblical or scriptural wisdom at all. Because someone asked him one time about... Uh, the afterlife, and what he had. And in his typical fashion, you know, he had a cigar and he said, well, I'll tell you what, I don't know where I'm going, but my goal is to have a pile of stuff so big that I can see it from wherever I'm at. Now, how ridiculous. Think about that. I want to leave a pile of material things so big that I can see it from wherever I'm at. And I've heard him make enough wisecracks and smart alecks about hell, you know, he would talk, you know, he'd say, well, we're hell-bent, you know, we're this. I really don't, I've never heard him say anything about the assurance of heaven. I really don't think that was on his radar. So was he actually suggesting, I want to have such a pile of material things that even if I'm in hell, I can see it from where I'm at. What comfort is that? It's absolutely stupid. It's ludicrous. We're not even going to entertain it. But this just goes to show what people without a biblical frame of thinking and a, and, a, and, a, and a Christocentric mindset where everything revolves around what Jesus did, how stupid and ridiculous some of what these people think. Okay, are there any questions? Questions that I can hear and, and record so that anyone can hear this? Any, any questions? Yes, Sandy? I just want to highlight something that you said. You want to highlight something? All right. We take our marching orders from the Lord. Yes, we do. Amen. From King Jesus. Well, okay. Well, that's, that's thrilling. You know, it's always thrilling whenever we hear something on the news or maybe you listen to a radio preacher watching someone on TV. And then you come to church and you hear the same thing. That, that really sticks in. And it's good. It's good for things to stick. Any other? Uh... Yes, Chuck. Yeah, I heard you back today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Boy, what a promise was that, huh? You know, speaking of that statement from that thief on the cross, I've heard people actually use that as a model for how they want to leave this life. And I told you before what the evangelist uh, Billy Sunday said about deathbed confessions. 
You see, people, they hear something like that. Well, you know, here's a thief, lived his whole life like hell, really, and he's on the cross next to Jesus. He says, Lord, remember me when you came to your kingdom. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's some people that would like to uh, live their whole life as they want, and then when they get to the end, well, that's when I'm going to repent, and that's when I'm going to pray, and nobody, I want you to hear this, nobody has that guarantee. First of all, you're not a thief on the cross hanging next to the king of the universe who extended that grace to you. And how many times do people die unexpectedly, a car wreck, in your sleep? You think about that? Next time you say goodnight to your husband or wife, good night. That might be the last time you say that. Oh, we don't, uh, don't say that, but it could be. So we have to live every day of our life as if it could be that tomorrow we will be with the Lord in paradise. It's just uh, something that we, it's, it's really a, a, a bizarre psychological device in our psychological makeup why people will purposefully put things out of their mind and just choose not to deal with it, thinking, I'll deal with it sometime later. And that reference of Billy Sunday, maybe some of you weren't here when we mentioned that before. People who think, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do, and then when I get close to the end of my life, I'll, you know, then I'm going to ask Jesus to be my Savior. There's no guarantee you'll be able to do that. And what Billy Sunday, I think it was Billy Sunday, the early 20th century, he said, that's like burning the candle of life for the devil and at the end blowing a smoke in God's face. Just a, just a very disrespectful way to leave this life, and there's no guarantee anyone will be able to do that. Yes, sir. Uh, it really is interesting. Uh, when the Lord granted 15 years extension, you, you would just think implied in that is that in God's sovereign plan and purposes, there would be some you know, really great spiritual... Yes, yes, on. you would think that the Lord would expect that. Is that, that right? To grant that, right. that extra, those extra Amen. Years. Uh, but as it turns out, he squandered. He, yeah. He, he misused those right. years. And we just, I mean, God knew that, of course. Right. But what a, it wasn't a blessing spiritually right. at all. It was a curse. And this account, this historical narrative is given to us just so that we could see that and know that. You know, I had a kidney removed five years ago, uh, a year after I had a heart attack. Had a stint put in, then I had, had some trouble where they went in with the deal for the stint. The stint was easy. <laughs> I highly recommend it. It's easier than going to the dentist, frankly. <laughs> I was wide awake. <laughs> I mean, they're talking about where they're going to eat lunch. For over 20 minutes, I was out of there. It was great. <laughs> Much easier than going to the dentist. But then they found they did a CAT scan the next week, just checking the wound where they went in with their, you know, how they do the stint. And they found a tumor in my kidney the size of a tennis ball. And uh, it was too big to just take it out of the kidney. They had to remove the whole kidney. That happened five years ago, a little over five years ago, because just a couple of months ago, I went to my last doctor's appointment where they said, okay, we've been watching your kidney and uh, also had a couple of things wrong with my pancreas. <laughs> There's no end of things that can go wrong with us, folks. I mean, you know, just a little blood clot the size of an English pre end up in your brain. You're God. I mean, we're so fragile. In some ways, we're like weeds. We're hard to kill. People smoke all their life, and they live to 80 years old. In other ways, people they die on the treadmill. You know, so everything is uncertain. But I looked at that nephrectomy. Sounds like I'm medically savvy, but it's the only medical word I know. It means when they cut out your kidney a nephrectomy as an extension of life. And if I didn't have that stent put in, and it was a mild heart attack, I don't recommend having a heart attack, but if you have one, I hope you have one like I had. I didn't even always have a heart attack. You know, it was July 6th. 
So it's like six years ago, I was working outside. I said, man, it was 100 degrees, typical July. And man, I started feeling so bad. I sat down. I sat down in the shade. I said, man, I just don't feel good. And uh, no, no sharp stabbing pain. I didn't, uh, you know, but I, I just was tired. And I felt like somebody punched me in the chest. Anyway, I'm saying all that to say, if I didn't have that, that kidney tumor that I had would not have been discovered. And if that thing would have exploded and gotten out of my kidney, I could have been dead in a very short. So I'm kind of looking at that God has given me an extension now. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm not trying to be melodramatic about this, but since that has happened, the Lord has brought us to this church. So I am talking to you on my life extension. And I thank God so much that he brought us to this great church where we meet great people, where we serve a great God in a great building with great singing and great preaching. It's, it's all good. I like to get people's attention. They say, hey, I hear you're going to that church. Is that a good church? I say, no, it's not a good church. It's a great church. <laughs> I like to look on their face when I say, no, it's not a good church. Oh, really? They're looking for gossip. What's wrong? No. It has something. <laughs> Always look. Tell me something juicy. I'll tell you something juicy. God is awesome. And the church is not only good, it's great. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to live every moment of our life realizing how quickly it could all be over with, Lord. And for the decisions we make, Lord, for whatever... Even if we're on a life extension now and we don't know it, I pray, Father, that we would live with the constant awareness that it's your grace and your mercy that we depend on for the next breath we take, for the next beat of our heart, for the next function of our liver, for everything that's happening within us that we take for granted every day. Lord, let us glorify you in every way, and it's in Jesus' name we agree together. Amen. Amen. Amen.